0: Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is January 25th, 2013, and today we are reading from the Big Book on page 107, the last paragraph and even if they is how it starts, and we're in a chapter to wives. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Rose, the 12 traditions, Fran, and then Kim, Sharon, Paula, and Hoodie in that order. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 24th of January, is 3751. 3751. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strengths, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Rose if you will read the 12 steps for us, please.
1: Yes, this is Rose. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. Were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. 8 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass.
0: Thank you, Rose. I will now ask Fran to
2: read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, OA every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass.
0: Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book and we are on page 107 in the chapter Two Wives, at the last paragraph that starts with, and even if they did not love their families. And I will ask Kim to begin reading.
3: Thanks, Monica. And even if they did not love their families, how could they be so blind about themselves? What had become of their judgment, their common sense, their willpower? Why could they not see that drink meant ruin to them? Why was it? when these dangers were pointed out that they agreed and then got drunk again immediately. These are some of the questions which race through the mind of every woman who has an alcoholic husband. We hope this book has answered some of them. Perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated. You can see that he really does love you with his better self. Of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility, but in ev- nearly every instance, the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and considerate. It is usually because he is warped and sickened that he says and does these appalling things. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. And good morning, everyone. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Once again, we're in the chapter to the wives, so this is a non compulsive overeater looking at the behavior of a compu- of a compulsive overeater and saying, What is their problem? What is their problem? You know, what had become of their judgment, their common sense, their willpower? Why could they not see that Drake meant ruin to them? And that is because of the di- our families are baffled about what this disease does to us. And this brings me back to the doctors of pain And it's a description of what is our disease. It is an allergy of the body that condemns us to to eat more and more once we adjust something. And it is a mind that once even the substance is out of our body, our mind tells us, come on, go back. It's not that bad. So let's look at that description of what that allergy of the body and obsession of the mind does to us as compulsive overeaters. It's that men and women drink essentially because they like the effects produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of
4: ease
3: and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks drinks they see others taking with impunity after they have succumbed to the desire again as so many do and the phenomenon of craving develops they pass through the well-known stages of spree emerging remorseful with firm resolution not to drink again this is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change there is very little hope of his recovery so as a compulsive reader i get that cycle I get that cycle, but what about the wife that is watching us go through that cycle and going, it doesn't make sense. In other areas, my husband has judgment. In other areas, my husband has common sense. In other areas, my husband has willpower. But yet, when it comes to the food, my husband or my wife or my family member has the worst judgment. They can't differentiate the truth from the false. They know it's injurious. they keep doing it over again. They're seeing a drink means ruined. And yet they continue to pick it up over and over again. So this chapter is trying to let the woman know that it says here, perhaps your husband has been living in a strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated. You know, that, that is usually because he is warped and sickened that he says and does these appalling things. So it's trying to let the woman know there's a difference between the disease and their husband. There's a difference between the compulsive overeater as disease and the compulsive overeater as a person, and how baffling this is, and how, how heartbreaking this is, and what can the woman do so she can find peace regardless of what the disease is doing to their husband. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph?
5: star one to unmute.
6: This is Nicole.
0: Good morning, Nicole. Go ahead.
6: Good morning, Monica. Thank you so much. This is Nicole, a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Good morning, Vision, for you. That part there where it says perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated I think it's pretty incredible how they describe it that way. And as I was just thinking now about, wow, you know, I really was living in a world that was very distorted and exaggerated. In fact, it exaggerated. I was able to exaggerate because of the disease the, I guess, the worst qualities in other people, and I exaggerated the best qualities in myself. In other words, truly in in the disease I never really saw my problem. I thought everybody else had the problem. And um, I, I'm, I'm literally just amazed how the disease actually changes our view and our perception and, and how infuriating that must be to the other people around us. I remember someone I was working with, we, we were talking one day, and he, and he had said to me, you know, you're probably just under stress over whatever and i said to him stress i'm not i don't have stress and he looked at me like i had 10 heads and i remember thinking i really don't have stress but it was because i was really in the food and the food just it masked everything and um thank god for this program of recovery that that takes those distorted glasses off of our face and we see things as they really are but But (laughs) I just look at it and say, wow, how crazy that from the outside point of view that it is so obvious that the disease distorts and exaggerates what we say, what we do, what we think, and how we feel. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to share in this paragraph?
7: This is Paula, may I share? Good
0: morning, Paula. Go ahead.
7: Good morning, Monica. Thank you again for your service. This would be Paula, Recovered, Compulsive Over Eda. That line, and even if they did not love their families, but see, even then. But here they're saying they do love their families. How could they be so blind about themselves? What had become of their judgment? They asked many questions, their common sense and their willpower. You know, we see on page 43 more about alcoholism. And the last, the last paragraph it ends with in this chapter, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases. Neither he nor any other human being, wife, child, mother, daughter, there we are, human beings, can provide such defense, and yet we try. His defense must, now there's the must of the program, come from a higher power, none other. But then, I love this, there are are some of the questions which race through the mind of every woman who has an alcoholic husband. One after another, boom, 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 boom. They don't just quietly come, not like the alcoholic in in our lives. And it says, we hope this book, they're the hope. Has answered some of them, some of them, but as was just said about the distortion, when you used to go to the to the the um oh the fears, and they had that mirror that distorted you, some looked better, some looked worse, some you gained three three feet, some you you shrunk down to two, and you'd look in that mirror, but see honey, you'd walk away, you'd walk away, not the alcoholic, the compulsive eater, they stay. And you were trying to figure, well, why are they still? Because they can see no other. They can't walk away. This disease does not give you that luxury. Oh, no. Once it gets you, as it says, you stay longer than what you intended. And after a while, your intention doesn't matter. Love doesn't matter. Caring doesn't matter. It falls to the side. But I just wanted to end with, we hope. That's what it says there on that line. And many more will be answered. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that I do pass.
0: Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs?
8: This is Lois. Could I share? Good
0: morning, Lois. Please share. I-
8: Monica, thank you. Um, I wanted to comment on why could they not see that drink meant ruin to them, and, and why that jumps out to me as a compulsive overeater was that I could not see. You know, when I have when I'm eating compulsively, and and I'm into the food that I have. First of all, I have the the physical allergy, which which um, begins that process. And then I then the obsession of the mind kicks in, and and when I have an obsession of the mind, it did not matter what I had to do in order to get the drug I needed to feel the ease and comfort. And 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 when I listen to this and read this, you know, I think about the disaster to first of all to me and my spirit, and then secondly everyone I was involved with, you know, my 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 family, my daughters, my son, my friends my husband you know that it 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 permeated my my spirit so uh, my spirit gradually became very ill and as my spirit became ill the only thing that mattered to me was getting what i needed to feel uh safe and comfort which at that time was was the food <laughs> and and so i get a sense of the devastating you know da- damage that this this disease causes To the wives of alcoholics and also to the families of compulsive overeating eaters and to the compulsive overeater themselves you know and i'm more and more convinced you know how how lucky and how grateful you know that the grace of god came into my lives and so many others you know and relieved me of that obsession and gave me hope and that was what um as a compulsive overeater in this phase there was no hope so you know i had no hope of anything else other than what, what food could do for me. I was doomed. And, um, and I'm so grateful, you know, that, that I, I did receive the grace of God and that so many others have, and that we have this, you know, wonderful um, group of vision for you students that were studying and passing and helping one another to recover from this, this um, damaging disease. Thank you. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Lois. What anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs?
4: Good morning. It's Leia.
0: Good morning, Leah. Please share.
4: Hey, Monica. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Just focusing in on uh, this part here, of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility, but nearly every instance, the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. It is usually because he is warped and sickened that he says and does these appalling things. You know, the men and the women who pen these pages, who offer us their collective experience and voice and wisdom, uh, they recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It only seemed hopeless. It only seemed hopeless. Uh, You know, when they were lying in the gutter, when they were destroying their own lives and ripping through the lives of their loved ones, it did seem hopeless. But the program of recovery put them back together the way God intended them to be. So it's similar here. Of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility. But in nearly every instance, the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. I mean, what is the whole point to the journey of the 12 steps? The whole journey takes us to step 12. And the whole point of joining OA and moving all through the steps is contained in those two words called spiritual awakening. And what is a spiritual awakening? A spiritual awakening is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. A personality is, the may, is, the way, is made up of the way we, we think, my outlook on life, the way we feel, our attitude on life. The program of recovery takes us on a journey of transformation where old ideas and attitudes are cast aside and we can now be dominated by new ideas and new attitudes. So that's why it says the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate because the secret of these 12 steps is that indeed it is possible to be able to effectuate such a dramatic change in personality, character, and values. It says, of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility, but in every, in, in nearly every instance, the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. Is usually because he is warped and sickened that he says and does these appalling things. You know, when those of us that are recovered tell our stories, when these men and women uh, told their stories in the back of the book, you know, it, it's it's hard to believe that they thought the way they thought, and that they felt the way they described that they felt and that they behaved and did the things in the way that it was described. It is hard to believe. Newcomers want to say, you know, that was a fantastic story, but it is hard for me to believe that you behind the podium are the same person. And we who are recovered, who have been on this transformation, say, let me assure you, that is what is possible when we cooperate. With God's grace. That this is not about personal success and this is not about personal recognition. This is about what God can do to when He saves the soul. It says today most of our men and most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. AA grew by leaps and bounds because of two primary reasons. One, these men and women who seemed hopeless. Got sober, and you know what? They stayed sober. And number two, their families were reunited. Their families were reunited. So that's why it says today most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. The program of recovery allows us to live better, behave better, think better, act better, love better, cooperate better, comfort better, understand better, forgive better. The program of recovery allows all of that to happen. Why? Because we're forced to. For self-preservation, we're forced to live by these principles. So that's why the program of recovery allows us to be better wives, better mothers, better sisters, better daughters, better friends, better community members, contributing people to society, because we are forced to live by these principles if we want to live, recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. With that I pass? Thanks.
0: Thank you, Leia. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? This is Christy. Good morning, Christy. Please share. Good morning, Monica.
9: Good morning, at Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I, uh, you know, I have this particular passage um, underlined in my big book, living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated, and you know, I don't know if. You know, anyone on the line has ever had alcohol, but you know, I've had alcohol and gotten drunk and acted like a crazy person. And, um, reading this and how it relates to food, (laughs) you know, I had no idea how completely crazy I was. How completely crazy I was. You know, how does food, how does eating, how does that distort? How does that, um, distort and exaggerate my thinking and you know for me I'm someone who wore my disease on my body that's not the case with everybody but you know I, I will just give you an example you know as a young young woman you know I'm, I'm almost well one now but at 5'4 and 124 pounds I thought I was huge you know I was 12 years old 5'4 124 pounds thought I was huge you know um 6'1", three hundred and forty pounds. I didn't think I was that bad. You know, that's that's just a little example of a distorted a distorted um, mind. Uh, so certainly my body and having a distorted view of my body. But beyond that, beyond that, love. You know, let's set that aside for just a moment and talk about my thinking. My thinking was distorted and exaggerated. You know, I thought people were out to get me. Um, you know, it was funny. I went to the, my doctor yesterday for my annual physical, which was perfect. I mean, you know, it was, it was as close to perfect as you can get for a 53-year-old woman who's genetically predispositioned to have type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure and all the other things that my parents have. I don't have that. I don't have any of that. All of my numbers are. I mean, she said, this looks excellent. This looks excellent. And, you know, we were talking and, and, uh, I don't know, just talking about, you know, I don't know, whatever, just having conversation and, um, you know, she was asking me about, you know, thinking and how I was with the weather and all that kind of stuff. And she said, you know, do you have the feeling that people are out to get you? And, um, you know, those thoughts of paranoia that can kind of come with seasonal affective disorder and that sort of thing. And I just, um, I burst out laughing because it struck me as so funny. You know, today in recovery, you know, If I have a brief moment where I think someone might be thinking that, you know, I can laugh about it because I'm an addict. And I just laughed and I said, I'm an addict. Of course I think people are out to get me. You know, that's kind of the way I thought all the time. That's the way I thought all the time. Every minute of every day people were thinking about me. They were out to get me. My boss was in, you know, her office with her boss, and they were thinking of ways they could fire me. I mean, that is just the way my brain works. Um, You know, everything was distorted and exaggerated. Everything, people I didn't know would pass me on the street, and they were thinking about me. You know, it's just that, you know today, thank God, I can laugh about that. I can laugh about that today because people are you know most likely thinking about themselves um, thinking about other things and i 'm so grateful that i don 't live in that strange world where everything is distorted and exaggerated you know i don 't live that way today i don 't live that way today i I live in the grace of a power greater than me i um, You know, I live in a world where my my number one goal every day is to be of service to those about me to be kind and loving to have had that spiritual transformation that the big book promises me if i follow these principles and i live these principles in all areas of my life and that has happened for me that transformation has happened for me from someone who you know let's just put aside that i weighed 300 pounds you know that's that was the least of my problems if you can believe it that was the least of my problems my My thinking was my biggest problem and um, you know thank God my mind has been my mind has been transformed today and consequently my actions have been transformed today and I am just so grateful for that and with that I'll pass
0: thank you Christy my name is Monica and I would like to share on this paragraph Um, we're in the chapter to wives here and so you know I'm presuming that they have read this book and they've come to this chapter here and they've been a a number of um, questions were asked in the first paragraph we read here you know how could their how could their husbands be so blind what had happened to their judgment their common sense can't they see what this drinking was doing to them how it was ruining everything and how it was affecting the their spouse and how it was affecting their kids and that they would turn around you know there might be moments where they were they were um um, clear or or and you know things were nice and then they turn around and they'd they'd be would agreeing with you and then they turn around and they get drunk again and the book says there are some of the questions which race through the mind of every woman who has an alcoholic husband we hope this book has answered some of them and and here we are in this chapter to wives and the big book here is hopefully has given them information you know before this book came out in the 1930s alcoholism was considered a moral disease it was, not a disease, a moral issue is what I want to say, you know, you were you were weak, you were a sinner, you were, you know, if you were an alcoholic. And now though this book comes out in the, 19, in the late 30s, and it's saying, wait a minute here, alcoholism is a disease, and there's two parts to it. There's a physical aspect, the allergy, that if you pick up the alcohol, it's going to set off cravings and you have to drink and then there's the mental obsession so they're learning this about their husbands that they do have a disease and I think this paragraph gives a lot of hope too and that's to them that things can get better that they now can have an understanding of where their husbands have been and but there's hope and you know you can see that he really does love you with his better half And that today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. You know, what hope this book gave when it came out. To finally have a little understanding of what alcoholism was. That it was a disease. And these 100 recovered people are saying, there's a way out of here. There's a way out of this. And our goal is to help you with that. So wives, hang on. There's hope. And with that, I will pass. And would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? OK, I will take that. And we shall move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, can you read the next one, please?
10: Good morning. Thank you, Monica. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Very grateful to be on the line with you this morning. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband no matter what he says or does. He is just another very sick, unreasonable person. Treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. When he angers you, Remember that he is very ill. And I'm going to stop there because, uh, as promised, the big book is telling us how then shall we live. It's telling us how to live because we didn't learn how to act upon life. We have just been reacting, most of us. And it's telling us how to – it's actually telling the one that's married to us how to act, but it's also telling us because what I want to recognize here is that many of us got married when we were in disease, and we married someone who has either uh, has who is imperfect and may have addiction of some sort, so many of us can read this as as if it were written to us and as if it were written about us. And we want to recognize that. And that's really a very important point for us because so often as women, as myself, I've, I've recognized that I can be much harder on my partner than on anyone else. I have greater expectations. It's very difficult for me to see the love. If you don't treat me the way I I expect to be treated, then you don't love me. And the big book above in the previous paragraph was telling us to see the love and not to see the the not to focus on that part that is sick. And we were told uh, in. The chapter "How It Works" that when we dealt with our resentments, we were told when when uh, people harmed us that uh, on page sixty-six it says this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick, though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us. They, like ourselves, were. Sick too. We asked we asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, This is a sick man. How can I be of help how can, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And so what they're teaching us is how to live in our homes with those that are closest to us. And as we start to recover, we find that we're in, in what is termed dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional homes. And we have to learn to be very tolerant of those that we live with extra tolerant because we know that we have been on the giving end of pain we have been dishing it out as much as we've been on the receiving and perhaps even more we have been giving and hurting and causing pain so we have to as we recover and and begin to see and recognize that we have been the givers of a lot of pain and we have caused so much hurt. I know for myself, I've had to realize and and kind of shake the mud off of my eyes and and, uh, get over the self-deception and the poor me and realize that I have hurt so much the people that I love that I need to be perhaps even extra tolerant when I see it being dished back to me in my home. And I have to really put this into practice, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because if I don't, it's going to make it impossible for me to recover. If we look again at page 67, it says, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take, kindly, take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. And how much more important is this in our home, with our partners, with our children, with our parents, with our loved ones? How it is so important that we don't condemn others, that we recognize that they too are sick and often their sickness is caused by our very own actions. Our own disease has created the sick or, or been a, a uh, tool to help promote sickness in those in our own home and so when as we recover they're still sick and now in recovery we we see that they're sick because we're no longer numbing ourselves and we can't react to it we should not react to it as difficult as it is it's 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 easier to react to it to blame them but what we are being told is that we have to treat them as if they're sick just like we are and uh, remember that they are ill we are ill we're in recovery they're not and we need to be extra tolerant of them with that I pass thank you very much
0: thank you Sharon would anyone else like to share on this paragraph
6: This Star is one to
0: unmute. Nicole,
3: go oh, ahead.
6: Thank you again, Monica. Good morning again. This is Nicole, gratefully recovering. You know what I really love about this whole chapter to wives. You know, if their husbands had not truly recovered, no wife could write the things that they are writing. There is no wife of an alcoholic husband who could ever say, "Oh, try not to condemn." your alcoholic husband, no matter what he says or does. Because anybody, and I and I have never lived with someone with um, alcoholism, um, but I'm sure that anyone who has, that would be a very tall order to bite your tongue and to not condemn your husband for ruining your lives. And I think it just says volumes that, they the the way they present this information is just so plain and so beautiful that it's just it's it's very convincing to me that they really were living with men who had been radically radically changed um and i also I also love this paragraph because it does bring us back to that um point in page sixty six and sixty seven about seeing just seeing illness you know seeing sickness seeing people's character defects or spiritual sickness as just a part of, of life. I mean, everybody's, not everybody, but many people trigger off many other people. And, and I can see how the big book, it is so true that my stuff was triggering defects in other people. It was like a vicious cycle. But thank God for these steps. To to halt that cycle and and to bring balance to start to bring balance into my life I'm I'm not recovered yet but I I can just see how 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 I am recovering from this illness and with that I pass.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph?
4: This is Leah.
0: Good morning, Leah. Please share.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband no matter what he says or does. He's just another very sick, unreasonable person. Treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. When he angers you, remember that he's very ill. Um, You know, it's a tall order. And essentially... of course, we're in uh, the Chapter 8 to the wives. Essentially, this is a 12-step call by wives of alcoholics on wives of alcoholics. I mean, who better to speak to wives of alcoholics than those who have trudged this road already? So it does seem like a very tall order. You know, while your husband, by the way, is uh, losing his job, crashing and. In- you know, crashing the car, uh, urinating over himself, and, and falling and breaking upon the furniture. Uh, you know, uh, just try to treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. It's a tall order. So uh, hence, you know, Alan Alanon was born. If you turn to page 121, it says the Fellowship of Al-Anon. Family Groups was formed about 13 years after this chapter was written, though it is entirely separate from Alcoholics Anonymous. It uses the general principles of the AA program as a guide for husbands, wives, relatives, friends, and other close-to-alcoholics. The foregoing pages, though addressed only to wives, indicate the problems such people may face. Alateen for Teenage Children of Alcoholics is part of Al-Anon. Again, you know, these principles that we study every day are universal. How are these people that loved these alcoholics going to live with peace of mind? How are they going to live with not self-destructing themselves? You know, and the same goes for those that are related to us as, you know, compulsive overeaters. Elimination of our binge foods is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition because years of living with addiction, years of living with alcoholics, years of living with compulsive overeaters is almost sure to make any wife or partner or husband or child neurotic. (laughs) The entire family is to some extent ill, says the book. So, uh, what's going to save these people that love us? Well, the the very same principles, the very same principles that save you and I, save the loved ones. So these wives here are out, you know, stretching out their hands, saying, "This is possible. This is possible to live by a code of love and tolerance." when you have a better understanding of the disease of alcoholism, that it's twofold, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, and when you understand the principles of this program. That's what is that is the foundation of this whole program. It all comes down to the (laughs) to God. You know, because if these ladies are trusting and relying and depending on the behavior and the actions of their husbands, well it's a it's a lost cause, right? But what if their trust, reliance, and dependence is on God? What if their trust, reliance, and dependence is on these very principles to stabilize themselves and to stabilize the family to the best of their ability? Because the reality is that Uh, alcoholics feel unmanageability long before they take their first drink, and they feel the same degree of unmanageability long after they have their last drink of alcohol because the greater aspect of the disease resides in the mind. It resides in the mind. So how does one stabilize? It's the same solution. These wives are saying it's the same solution. Love and tolerance is our code. These very principles that save the lives of alcoholics can save the lives of us as well. With that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Leah. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Paula, can you read the next paragraph, please?
7: This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. There is an important exception to the foregoing. We realize some men are thoroughly bad-intentioned, that no amount of patience will make any difference. An alcoholic of this temperament may be quick to use this chapter as a club over your head. Don't let him. Get away with it. If you are positive he is one of this type, you may feel you had better leave. Is it right to let him ruin your life and the lives of your children, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse if he really wants to pay the price? And I will end there. As the paragraph ends, it ends with, if he really wants to pay the price, for di- truly a price has to be paid. You know, we see so much here, and it looks like it's hopeless, but is there not something in surrender that we learned, and that is freedom? freedom—to finally surrender to what is, and not what would be or could be to live in that spiritual world of make-believe? Hear this part, an alcoholic of this temperament, very, very clear here, bad-intentioned, no intention of changing that no amount of patience will make a difference. Here another part. This is, well gee, we just turned learned about not here, not here. See now we have to remember what I said we walk away from distorted mirror. We walk away. And that part and I'm gonna go back to on page. Fourteen, about the last sentence here, a price had to be paid. Fourteen, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of life who presides over us all. This will be very, you will see this happening. Is there any destruction of self-centeredness or is it increasing and building even more so? To the point that child and wife means nothing. Nothing. And then it says here on 16, Bill wrote this, an alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. Our struggles with them are variously strenuous, comic and tragic. They're the alcoholic life and the ones that are touching it. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. Could not or would not. Either way, the results are the same. He could not see our way of life, and the way of life had to be changed. And with that, is for us the part to see clearly, to see clearly what is. And then it said here a question for you, the wife Is it right to let him ruin your life life, and the lives of your children? Is that the right thing to do? Will that even help him? No. As was said. Only God himself, only God himself. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass.
0: Thank you, Paula. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Star one to unmute.
3: This is Kim.
0: Good morning, Kim. Please share
3: morning again, Monica, ouch, just had an ouch moment here, it says an alcoholic of this temperament may be quick to use this chapter as a club over your head, it says, you know, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking abuse if he really wants to pay the price, you know, this to me is the consequences to a family when someone is suffering from untreated alcoholism. You know, when we think we come in the rooms and we try to stay sober and absent on this fellowship, and we go out and we think, they should be just darn grateful that I'm not eating. And we're not working these steps and we're getting angry and we're getting restless and we're getting irritable and we're getting discontent and we're looking for reasons to justify our behavior. So we're going to go into this chapter to the wives and say, listen, you're supposed to treat me as a sick person. You're supposed to not get angry at me. You're supposed to treat me with love and tolerance. And to heck with the way that I'm treating you. Because I know for myself, some of the worst damage I did was not when I was in the food. It was when I was abstinent and a raging lunatic trying to control everything and everyone around me. Because I was using this program as a diet program. Dieting with support. And I would go to the rooms and I would look for people to to support the way that I, I was the victim. I was the martyr, and look at the way my family is treating me, and they need to pay because look at me. I've lost the weight. I am not eating anymore. Why aren't they treating me with the respect I deserve? So they're saying to these women, do not have, you do not have to put up with this behavior. Don't let him use this book against you, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse if he really wants to pay that price. And what is that way? That way is the 12 steps. You know, this program is about a spiritual awakening. This program is about working these 12 steps so we can become recovered. So that we get to a place where not only we don't have to eat, but we don't want to eat. We come to a place where we are no longer in constant collision with everyone and everything around us. We are no longer stepping on the toes of our fellows and getting kicked off because they are retaliating. You know, so they're saying here to these spouses. To these that you know we understand that a uh, elimination of their drinking is just the beginning, and if that is all they are doing, they do not need to tolerate that behavior and that 's a big ouch for me because I spent years in this program thinking that if I am accident, the world should bow to me and be grateful for the fact that I am no longer fat, that I am no longer binging in these foods, and i didn 't recognize that the most dangerous part of the disease for me is the obsession of the mind. But in turn, the most dangerous position for my family members was when I was on the obsession of the mind and simply abstaining from my binge foods. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim. I'd like to share on this paragraph. In the paragraph before, where the wives are being given instructions of, you know, your husband has an illness and a disease... And you need to um, treat him with love and tolerance, you know, just like you would if he had cancer or pneumonia or whatever. And then, and this paragraph it says there is an important exception to the foregoing. And what are they saying here? They're saying to the wife now, don't let him get away with it. If if he is abusive and he is hurting you and your children then you need some tough love here and it might be better if you leave. Why put yourselves in that type of situation or environment? And so, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse if he really wants to pay the price. So they're they're being told now, you know, don't act as a doormat. We're not saying that. With the love and tolerance, there may be situations where it is best if you leave, you know? And with that, I will pass. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph?
3: This is Janice.
0: Gordon, Janice, go ahead.
3: Good morning, Monica. Good morning, vision for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm looking at this paragraph and you know what I see? I see some hope. I see some hope in this paragraph because what I see is that we are given a choice. We are given a choice. Just like the alcoholic, just like the husband they're talking about here also has a choice. We are given a choice. We are given, our free will is not taken from us by working this beautiful program and finding a spiritual awakening and living in a spiritual experience, it means that we see the choices more clearly. And perhaps as the partner, as the wife, as the family member here of this alcoholic, that choice might be hard to make. You know, it might be that you are at the point where you see that this is your choice to make to protect your children to not let this situation ruin your life, to choose a better life. But they remind us with this last sentence that the alcoholic has a choice as well. Even though he may be deep in the illness, even though he may be prisoner of his thinking, the choice is still his, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse if he really wants to pay the price. You know, I always look at this paragraph and I always think, well, perhaps there is down the road, perhaps this alcoholic will lose everything. Because I've watched people with the illness lose everything. Lose their families, lose their jobs, lose their way of life. And in that big bad bottom, find that choice. Finally be face to face with that choice. But we don't have that ability to choose for the person whether we're the loved one watching or whether we are the person in the situation facing the alcoholic. Everyone has that same choice, that beautiful place to choose the solution, you know, to choose a better life. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Janice. And I want to thank everybody who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And, Hoodie, can you read a vision for you, please?
5: Hi, good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, Compulsive Overeater. Uh, Our our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will, will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Give freely of what you'll find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.
3: Thank you, Heidi.